Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Chris Higgins with Keller Williams in Westlake, Ohio. Last year, he closed 191 transactions with a total sales volume of $33 million and earned $1.2 million in GCI. His average sales price was $175,000, of which 32% were buyers and 68% were sellers. Chris has a 12-member team, one lead buyer agent, three showing assistants, one lead seller agent, two seller agents, one transaction manager, one director of media, one inside sales associate, one lead conversion manager, and one partner. Chris is the team leader of the Dream Team. He's been an agent for 19 years and works the Metro Cleveland market. In this call, Chris talks about working as a branch manager for 10 years before going into sales, joining his wife's team with a single focus on getting listings, taking 43 listings in his first 60 days by focusing on for sale by owners and expireds, why door knocking is the fastest way to list FISBOs and expireds, selling 125 homes in his second year, the reason he never turns down the listing, why he takes 12-month listings without easy exit options. How to get systematic price reductions, including the language and approach. 45% of his business was listing for sale by owners. 86 listings last year. FISBO scripts for initial contact, follow-up, and setting appointments. What to say to for sale by owners who tell you they are listed on Zillow. Why language and the words you use are the true tools of the master agent. The typical time FISBOs try on their own before they list. You'll be surprised. The commission option program you can use to get appointments. How to hire an ISA or caller to set appointments for you. 25% of his business was relisting expired homes. 47 listings last year. Script to use when agents are telling the seller to wait 45 days for the MLS to reset before they relist. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Chris. Mike, thank you. It's a real honor. Hey, Chris, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Chris, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Sure. Yeah, you know, growing up was, rough at times i kind of grew up in my father's construction company uh found myself at a very early age you know literally out on job sites probably when i was eight or ten years old so summers always were get out of bed early and and go to work with dad and you know i think through that what i learned was a few things one i learned what hard work was all about so i certainly have no regrets there 
And I also learned that working in construction, you're at the mercy of the weather, certainly in Cleveland, Ohio. So certain things were just out of your control, uh, which was a great motivator for me to want to get into something that I actually had no limit, you know, which is where I think I found myself in real estate. But And I did grow up with a strange interest in real estate that didn't surface and didn't actually get into the business for some years later. So grew up in construction. I got into some home building in the late 90s, which was exciting and, and so on. And then I learned quickly after about three years of doing it that the real challenge that anybody could ultimately build a house, there's just follow the plans and bring the people together and, and construct it. But the real challenge and ultimately the opportunity was actually in getting the home sold. So I became very aware of the importance of having a marketing plan. I just kind of blindly jumped into it without any of those considerations. And I learned a lot and it was a little uh, expensive in the process. But through it all, I gained a, a great appreciation for the selling end of, of that process. And as I was concluding that project, it was a street with like 15 or 20 homes on it, I forget. I was looking for my next project and stumbled into uh, a job posting that was actually quite intriguing. It was for a director of builder marketing for a real estate company. So I had really never done anything other than construction and, and home building, so I thought that would be interesting, and sure enough, it was a fit. And I ended up getting hired by a broker in Cleveland, and that was back in uh, the year 2000. So that's kind of how I got into real estate. I had really no sales experience. I uh, was hired as this director of builder marketing. And before I knew it, six months later, they said, you know what? I think you'd be better off in our branch office as a sales manager. And I think that was their motive all along was to build a, the branch where I happened to my local town there. So they said, go out and run that branch and make it number one and recruit, recruit, recruit. So I learned the broker side of the business first uh, in terms of real estate sales. And I didn't have a whole lot of sales experience, but I had a lot of people experience. And I think that's what helped me become successful and, and really enjoy that position for as long as I did it. I did it for about seven years, did very well, grew the office, and then our company was purchased uh, by another company. And I, I became, um, I was moved to a different office and, and really had to merge like four offices together. And it was our company's largest office. And the job description changed quite a bit, still learned a tremendous amount, but started to lose a little bit of the passion that I had had just in that overall transition for that following three years. So that was in 2010, at which time my fiance had been selling for about six years herself and had started a little bit of a team in doing so. She was really seller focused. That's how everybody I worked with, we were always focusing on just the where a broker's focus. So we we're always trained in coaching and training on getting listings. So she had done that and, and learned how to do that quite well. And because of that, needed a buyer agent. So her team started to develop. And I was watching that along with many other agents in my office, actually quite envious of, of their freedom and some of their 1099s. And I said, you know, I think I would love to do that and actually stepped into sales for the first time in literally 2010 after managing as a sales manager for 10 years. So that's really how I ended up where I'm at. And I joined my wife's team and now my wife's team. And we've been doing it ever since, since 2010. 
sounds like it was a bit of a struggle for you to move from management to sales. You'd been doing it a long time, a decade. What type of challenges did you have to overcome from moving from the, the management side, where I assume you had a salary, over to the sales side, where it was make it or break it? Right, which was part of my interest, quite frankly. You know, the biggest challenge was mindset, knowing that, listen, I had just done this, helped people do this for 10 years. I just have to go out and do what I told people to do and believe in what the plan was because I've seen it work before and giving up the guaranteed salary was nerve wracking. However, and it was 2010, it was the bottom of the market in Cleveland. I mean, there was really, it wasn't anything positive happening in real estate at that point, but the challenge was incredible which was such a driver. I think if I had done it at a different time, different economic conditions, it probably wouldn't have been as urgent as it was to get a foot into that process. So I think that's what drove it. But ultimately, the challenge was just getting listings. I had a single focus, and my plan was, because it was actually September 15, 2010, going into the fall, I needed to get listings. So I went on a on just a mission, and I think I don't recall the exact numbers, but I think I did like 43 listings in 60 days, which was right out of the gate. I mean, I just went all in on for sale by owner, expired. Uh, It was really the only thing I knew, and I figured out that I could list properties. And then I realized that, and I think it was a combination of the season in Cleveland, it was a combination of the economy, that it was now December, January, and I hadn't written a sale yet. So... I had saved some money, of course, before I made this move. So my savings was being looked at every day. And here it was January going into the next year without any written sales. And I started to get really, really nervous. But again, mindset was, I think, the challenge and the opportunity. So I just focused on continuing on the plan. And sure enough, in February, had my first contract come in on one of my seller listings. I don't work with buyers. I didn't at that time. So that was all I was doing was servicing my sellers. And all of a sudden, spring hit, and and ever since, I've never looked back. It's just been listings sold. So that's that was the process, but um, no regrets. It was the only way I knew how to do it. Wow. So did I hear correctly? Did you say that once you went right into the sell side, within the first 60 days, you listed 43 homes, 43 properties? Yeah, and I took every single listing. To this day, I I have actually turned down only one listing in the last, I guess I've been doing this for eight years since. And I regret turning that one down because I learned a hard lesson that, and I actually learned this from my prior broker, Kobe Hanna was his name. He tells a great story about when he was 18 years old, he grew up in their family business and he'd hear all the agents in the office chattering, you know, the the group that would sit there and, and sort of talk about the overpriced listing down the street that, you know, XYZ broker just took and maybe chuckling about it. And Hobie learned that if you look at that in another 30, 60, 90 days, sooner or later, there'd be a sold sign on that. And he would circle back to that group and say, hey, you know that listing you guys were talking about, you know that just sold. And it wasn't so much that maybe, maybe it was overpriced. I don't know. But the fundamental philosophy is that it's it's all about the motivation, and we have the service to help a seller take them into the market. It's up to us to provide that service to them. And if the market responds and it works, that's great. If it doesn't, then we need to make adjustments. You just have to be geared for it. So 
I've turned down one listing. It was a, it was a crazy listing. I pulled up. It was like uh, intersecting of three railroad tracks, and there was German shepherds <laughs> running around the yard. I could smell cigarette smoke from the car, and I thought, my gosh. And I actually walked up towards the porch, and I turned around. And I said, you know what? I just got back in my car and left. I thought, you know, this is this thing's never going to sell. I don't need this inventory. And honest to goodness, total total uh, sincere story. Sixty days later, because I get an automatic email on things that sell, there it was sold. And I thought to myself, that was about an eight thousand dollar lesson that I really can't forget. So, yeah, I took every listing I could, and of course they all didn't sell. But you know what they did was they drove my business and created a tremendous amount of leads. And it's all about momentum. And when you get signs up in the ground in the market, that's how you build a business. Well, I think that people listening are going to want to know how you took 43 listings in 60 days. Did you say that that was all for sell by owner and expired? Were these all individual sellers? Yeah, they were primarily, uh, again, I mean, it was eight years ago, so I don't have the exact detail on what was what. But I would say virtually 80%, 90% of those were for sale by owner expired. And of course, that was a different market. We had 20 or 30 expireds coming off a day. So I had an abundance of opportunity every morning where I was phone calling and and I was door knocking as well to these expireds. I had a pretty cool system. In fact, I'd like to do that again uh, and intend to as soon as we get some more expireds to work with, which is part of our challenge today. But I would pack up a package. Uh, I always had stop and drops in my car. And I'm always creating, you know, compelling messages. I think differentiation is key in our industry right now more than ever and certainly was back then. You've got to have something compelling and different to bring to the table, certainly when you're talking to an expired and equally important when you're talking to a for sale by owner because there's so much competition. And and at that point, there's already a resistance built into what you're trying to offer them. So having something compelling was, was very important packaging it up if they weren't home in a way that they would open it up and get that two-second opportunity to have your headline read. So I was using, you know, FedEx containers or UPS envelopes with confidential on there and whatever I could to make it important enough to be looked at. And that was the in the scenario where they wouldn't be home, which was probably 50% of the time. The other 50% of the time, it was always an interesting experience at the door. But I do remember numerous times where they would literally have no idea that their home just came off the market. And I was there at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. It would be the first thing I would do. I was making phone calls as I drove. So I was sort of multitasking at that point because timing is so key. And this is the expired conversation right now. So, But there were numerous times where I'd knock on the door and they were so surprised their home had come off the market and so disappointed because we know that expired sellers typically complain about the level of communication and of course having just expired and not realizing that they weren't even on the market was just an extension of that so i listed sellers literally on the spot that morning so there were numerous times of course for sale by owners were no different as i would drive i would you know pick up for sale by owners it was a lot different back then now i have you know we have databases that just feed our dashboard every day with fizzbos and expired so much more efficient but back then there wasn't even as many online like there are today on Zillow. So driving around was a dual opportunity in terms of expireds and for sale by owners. So I would knock on the door of a for sale by owner. And again, I remember numerous times, Just I think what it comes down to in the for sale by owner scenario is that 
your physical, personal presence is so key to the process. I've done postcards, I've done phone calls, I've done drop-offs. Nothing can replace you as an individual and the energy that you bring to the table. And that's what sellers are looking for. They're looking for somebody that can bring some confidence to the process, to bring some real valuable information so that they can come to a, a decision that they just don't realize they need to make, which is we can actually help them put more money in their pocket at the end of the sale than doing it on their own. And I think that that physical face-to-face conversation is really a difference maker, at least in my experience. We're going to come back to your for sale by owners and buyers because not only did you start your career that way, you've continued to build your business on that. And everybody's going to get to hear about that in just a second. Before we do that, though, I want to give them a little bit of background as far as your stats, kind of what you're doing today. So how long have you been in the business now? I've been selling for eight years. Selling for eight years, and I think you're licensed, what, maybe 19 years or so? Uh, yeah, eight, 18 years, 18 years licensed. 18 years licensed and eight years actively selling. That's great. And now how many homes did you sell last year? We had our best year ever. We closed 191 homes last year, which uh, was about one every 48 hours we found out, which was kind of cool. That's our new marketing slogan this year. We sell a home every two days. And it was our best year ever. So did about, I think it was $33 million in, in sold volume. We wish it were higher in Cleveland, Ohio. It's our average sale price is about 175000 It's just the market that we're in, and, and that's the market that we work with. So like we don't have necessarily a niche in the Cleveland market. I'm, like I said, pretty open to just about any seller that wants to sell their home. I'll work with them, and uh, that's how I've been successful. We don't zone in on specific. We have a we have a range of an area that we like to be in, but what I'm willing to do is actually drive an hour. I'm willing to drive 60 minutes to a seller's home to do a listing presentation because I can service that listing. I know the market well enough in a 60-mile radius, and it's strange in Cleveland because we kind of have three sides. We have Lake Erie there, so it's, no one thinks of it as a coast, but you can only go sort of 60 miles and in my range, two different ways. It's kind of like west or south. I don't go east because in Cleveland, there's a river that divides the city. And we found that going to the east side, we have had very little uh, results. I just think that there's a, a question about where our market center is, you know, where's your office? And we get into that whole conversation. It really is a different place. So south and west from our office, we'll go 60 miles or 60 minutes. And we would love to focus on the on the luxury, the high end. However, it's like when I speak to a high-end seller in Cleveland, if anyone tells you that's all they do, they're not selling a lot of real estate because they're just not an abundant high-end market in Cleveland. It's just the way it is. So, uh, But it's a good market. It's consistent, and it's very stable right now. We're not the kind of stories that you hear you know, things in multiple offers every other day, but we've had a couple of flashes in the pan where we've experienced some of that over the last 12 months, which has been refreshing because that rarely ever happens in a very traditional conservative area like Cleveland, Ohio. You built it up last year to 191 homes sold, 33 million. Do you remember your GCI last year? I do because it was our goal. For the last couple of years, I've been targeting a million in GCI, and I don't know why. It just was a big number, and we did it. So it was like 1.18 million in gross commission income. So 
we were really excited about it. We were counting down the deals there at the end of the year and kind of felt like in November we were going to hit it. And, um, of course, like every year end, it required us to really push. But uh, but it was a great year. And, yeah, so we hit our goal. Oh, that is fantastic. I actually want to go back for one second and do a follow-up question. You had that really fast start with all those listings. It took a couple months for the production to come through because of the time of year. But that first year that you were in business, do you recall how many homes you sold? It's a great question. I think it may have been about 30, 30-ish or so. But again, I'm not a huge numbers guy, so I don't really know my numbers as well as I probably – there's a lot of things I could be doing a lot better, and that's, that's one of them. But I, I want to say it was maybe 30 or so. I know that going from a, a guaranteed income standpoint of being a salaried uh, with a bonus, whatever, I knew I had pretty much doubled my income by moving into sales, which was my biggest concern was, am I going to make what I used to make? And of course, when you have to, you do you do things you don't think you can. So. Now, with that huge start, the 43 listings in 60 days, people would think, my gosh, he's going to sell 100, 200 homes that first year. And yeah. so why did that not happen? What changed or what was the reality? Was Were things not selling as quick as you wanted or you had taken over price listings? What was the challenge there in the very beginning because you were on such a fast pace? Right. Yeah, in all honesty, and I'm willing to admit it, I took over price listings uh, that, that likely – didn't sell quickly and or some didn't sell at all. And, you know, it's no excuse, but it's a reality. The market in 2010 was extremely difficult in terms of getting homes sold. There was there was a tremendous amount of short sales and foreclosures. You know, there was just very little happening. It was one of the worst years in Cleveland's real estate. Certainly in 2011, that was 2011 in the actual year end, and then 2012 hit, and I think I did 125 sales 2013. I think I did like 140. So it was a little bit of a lag. But ever since that first year, we went into the, you know, the 120, 140, 150, 170, and so on since. So, yeah, it was just kind of an, an unusual moment for all of that. So you were waiting for the market to catch up. You were running 100 miles an hour, taking a lot of listings. Let me ask you this, and without giving specific numbers, were you noticing that in a slow market like that, you were able to charge a higher commission because you had a longer time frame before you get to the sale? Well, I certainly had support, number one, and I think this is one of my business fundamentals, something I was taught by my broker, the importance of time as well. So not only were we looking to charge as much as we could in terms of commission, we we're also looking to take as long of a listing as we could. So we adjusted our, our listing agreements to 12 months, and that was that was a first. So that that was a as much of a conversation with a seller as, as was the commission itself, because we knew that market time was dramatically up. Motivation for sellers sometimes takes a great deal longer than three to six months. So one of the biggest tools that I've used ever since is the 12-month listing agreement. And there are times where I've actually bumped that up to two years, depending on the property itself and the seller's uh, you know circumstances. When I was a young man, my father told me, when you negotiate, everybody forgets about the fourth dimension of time. And so you utilize that right off the bat. It's huge. It's one of the biggest secrets that I've learned is that I'd almost rather take a listing at 1% less for a 12-month 
period than 2% more for a six-month period. And the, the reason is, is that I've got time on my side now. And like I said initially, I can't be held responsible if a home isn't selling. As long as I'm doing my job and I've provided the service that and utilizing the tools that I have available to me and doing it in a very sincere and diligent way, at some point, the equation turns to the seller. And I think this is where many agents fall short. And, you know, I think when most people get into the business, at least my experience working with brand new agents for years, everybody wants to have their sign in the ground and they want to work with sellers because for all the right reasons. And then what happens is they take a few sellers on and all of a sudden they don't get offer in a month or two or three and the seller starts pointing their finger saying, hey, what are, what are you doing for me now? And one of the ways that I've been able to manage this is to completely gear out my business to know that I have a service plan that is proven, number one. Number two, I think agents find themselves, you know, oh, I'll do another open house, I'll place another ad, or I'll, I'll do another internet boost or something like that, because it's all about what I'm not doing to get your home sold. At some point, it comes down to what the seller needs to do, and that's going to be in terms of we know price and, of course, condition or both. So if if you have a 90-day listing and you, you're dealing with a seller that didn't price right from the gate or the condition isn't right, what happens is is that seller, as soon as they find out that you're not going to do another open house or that you don't have the solution that it's actually up to them now, they start looking at the calendar and saying, okay, 60 more days with Chris, 59 more days with Chris. As soon as I'm done with this guy, I'm just going to go by owner and drop my price 20000 So, you know, you're setting yourself up for bad business if you take short listings. And once the seller knows that, number one, you're committed to working with them and, and sincerely, because that's part of the conversation, you have to you have to actually prove that to them. But once they know that they're also committed to you, because I also don't have like an easy out listing thing, I understand why many agents do that. I just don't know that it's in the best interest in the long run for my business. So I can't speak for anybody else. For me, I like to really put a full-time commitment into the process, and I expect the same out of the clients that I work with. So that's how we've we've gotten the job done. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the seller truly needs or wants to sell, they're going to have to do what they need to do for the market to respond. And that's where I think another opportunity is lost with many agents is that they judge the listing. As too many agents go in with a crystal ball and say, you know, you'll never sell at that price. Or, no, I only do a 7% commission. And, and they're just too, too judgmental on, on those two very important topics. You've got to have the flexibility. You've got to be willing to allow the market. The market's doing crazy things. So the agent that goes in and judges on price, oftentimes they'll lose the listing because they don't have any optimism in what could happen. And sellers love knowing that, hey, we can push the market a little bit, especially lately. And we're surprising ourselves by what some of the response has been. Yet, if in 21 to 30 days we don't have results, we're going to have to have a conversation about some adjustments that we're going to need to make because we need to make timely adjustments. So again, there's expectations going into this process. And at the end of the day, when they have to make that price adjustment, which is not unusual in my business. So I know there's a lot of agents out there that pride themselves in taking the right price listing up front, and I respect that. I just don't operate like that. I, I like to keep as many listings as I can for different reasons, and that formula doesn't work for me. So I have to have a plan that helps us get to the right price, assuming it wasn't, because I'm not writing the seller a check, I'm not the buyer, and I'm not an appraiser, and really the market is the only one that decides price. 
and you're having that conversation with the seller at the listing appointment before they hire you, before you commit to working with them, so that you all have the correct expectations of what's going to happen moving forward. So, for instance, if they want to try it higher, I assume you're saying that's fine as long as we're going to make an adjustment down the line. It's all kind of mapped out in the beginning. Is that true? It is. I have a pretty powerful graphic that inevitably on every seller presentation I've ever gone on, I use. And sometimes we go on a seller listing and we don't have to open up our book or our presentation very much. This one I always use because it truly shows, and it's nothing earth-shattering, but it's a, it's a powerful visual for someone who doesn't do this every day to understand how this process is going to work and why positioning is so important along with timing. And that's in terms of your market position of the property and time in the market. So we can afford for a very limited amount of time to test the market. And like I said, if the market rejects us, we have to be prepared to make a make an adjustment. Now, that's that conversation we go back to over and over and over again. Do they adjust on 21 days every time with me? No. Do they forget that we had that conversation? Of course. I'm very consistent, though, in my communication going forward that when they email me at 1030 at night saying, hey, Chris, can we do an open house this weekend? I say, no. We did our open house already, and we did it strategically timed as we discussed. To do it again would be ineffective and would not produce the results we're looking for. We need to talk about adjusting at this point. I just beat that drum because that's the reality. That is the reality. And, of course, if we make the adjustment, we're going to do another open house. We're going to time it strategically. We're going to create the urgency and and move that process through as we do. But that's where I think some agents fall short, and they say yes to that. And now they've allowed the process to be mismanaged or the expectations to not be on track of really what's going to ultimately make this home sell. I noticed that you used a powerful word. Instead of saying a price reduction, you said adjusting, adjusting. You use that a lot with the seller. It's a little softer. Well, I talked about construction, and this is something I use in my training quite a bit with people on my team and so on. And see, in construction, growing up, we had tools. If we needed to break a wall down, we smash it with a hammer and it fell down. You wanted to pound a nail on the wall, you just hit it. In real estate, what we're dealing with is actually human relations. And I've learned that our tool is now really the way we communicate. So language, my saying is language is leverage. And you have to be very, very careful and deliberate and intentional with the words that you use, when and how you use them, and what what context. So reduction is a bad word. We never use that word. Price drop, we would never, ever say that. That's horrible. We would only use the word adjustment, reposition, improve, things like that. So, yeah, you have to be very, very careful on how you communicate it. Because, again, this is our business model that we may have some overpriced list. What we're doing on a daily basis to move those you know, those sellers towards towards where they need to go and language is everything. You mentioned you use a graphic to help with positioning or at least future positioning of the home. Uh, what's on that graphic? Yeah, it's something I captured probably years ago in, in just different trainings and so on. Ultimately what it is, many of the agents may be listening to this have probably already seen it. It just shows how the market works and this concept of the flood versus the drip. And when you put your property in the market, there's going to be this flood of buyers because next to it, there's this graph of different pools of buyers, different segments. So 
we're going to attract this pool of buyers that are all going to want to come out and see your property in that first 21 to 30 days because it's the freshest, newest listing, at which time we're going to have the most opportunity in the whole listing period to create urgency, which is that little known ingredient that I really maximize to help you get the most out of this process as a seller because you're my client. So that 21 days is critical. If we don't get results and the market ends up, and this is a powerful language word, if the market ends up rejecting us, and I throw myself into that conversation because we're in this together, if we get rejected, we need to really look at this position and do what we can do to adjust the position of this property so that we can recreate that process and go and visit this next pool of buyers and, and have them flood in, create that urgency, set another strategically timed open house, and revisit that whole process. So it's a true model of the way that the market responds to a property. And if you do it very systematically and you do create urgency when you can, it can be very productive. And I believe it sells properties at the very top of the market. I know that we're very confident about when we do sell our properties that we know that we haven't left any money on the table, both the seller and myself. That's based on the way that we enter the properties into the market. So you have a attitude, a couple things I heard there. You have the attitude that you're together with the seller. You're putting yourself in the same boat. The market rejected us, not you or your property. You also use some really good terminology there with the idea of the pool of buyers going to find the next pool of buyers. That's why you need to make the adjustment. And then the strategically timed open house. I just don't want people to miss that. There were a lot of great gyms in there that were pretty strong. But what I'd like to do at this point, though, Chris, is I'd like to switch gears just a little bit. We're basically going to stay on topic, but I want to talk about your for sale by owner program. I know people want to hear about it. Uh, my understanding is about 45% of your business last year. That's a really huge part. A lot of for sale by owners are in the market today, and agents want to know how they can capture that business. Can you tell us what you're doing to attract and list so many for sale by owners? Yeah, I will. And it starts with your belief that you actually can help them have a better outcome than they can on their own. And that's something that is just true if you are diligently, sincerely applying your service at the highest level. So when I see a for sale by owner, and when most buyers do, the first thing that comes to mind is discount. So whenever, and this is conversations that I have on a daily basis with for sale by owners, it's it's really sometimes and opportunity for, for them to be enlightened on, on reality. See, when your red and white sign is in the yard versus my sign and the next door neighbor, automatically that buyer is going to impute the a level of discount that you're supposedly going to save. So ultimately, the outcome, you're attracting discount-minded buyers. There's actually buyers that will seek out your home versus mine because why? They're actually looking for a deal. So those dollars you're trying to save you're actually going to be at best sharing them with, with a buyer. And meanwhile, you're really only skimming a very limited segment of the real market. You're missing all those other mainstream buyers that are qualified, ready, willing, and able, maybe working with other brokers. So when you limit the visibility of your home like you are and attract discount buyers, ultimately you're limiting the potential demand. And we know that in pricing, when it comes to demand and supply, the more demand I can put on this property, the higher your sale price can be. So it's a simple supply and demand equation in terms of trying it on your own versus you know selling it 
with full marketing. So I don't blame anybody. In fact, I can understand why you would want to try it for a week or two or three. I mean, if your neighbor or a friend has a buyer, I think that's great. And sure, why not? Yet at the end of the day, you know, there's just so many reasons why you'll actually have a better outcome. And I think that's in terms of more money in your pocket at the end of the sale. The other thing is, and this is where many for sale by owners, they truly believe that they're the best one to sell their home because they know it like nobody else. And I get the concept, yet we've all been in that walkthrough with a buyer and the seller happens to be home during the showing. And I've seen it where a buyer literally will coil up and so will their agent. And it's a very uncomfortable experience for that buyer. What happens is the seller's presence in the home becomes a distraction to the buyer's experience and impression of the property. So it's actually extremely counterproductive for a seller to be home. That's a tough conversation to have with a seller, especially before you got them listed. But it is a conversation that said at the right time, once you start to build a little rapport, they start, they almost can relate. They're like, oh, you know, I, I remember that happened to me once when I was a buyer. So there's, there's a lot of fundamental conversations that I just have over and over again with for sale by owners. Those are typically things that I'm saying or over the phone or, or at the time of appointment. So what it's all about in terms of getting the appointment is you got to have the leads. And today there's an abundance of for sale by owner leads. Well, Chris, just listening to you, it sounds like you're doing a lot of education. You're educating these sellers on what the market really is. And I assume it's even a conversation you have with all sellers. It's just you're focusing on for sell by owners and some of the challenges that they meet. It is. And it, maybe that's one of the things that I enjoy so much about real estate is the opportunity to educate and, of course, learn. I mean, we're, we're students of, of, our, of our practice, of our industry, and of our markets. So I love sharing that back, certainly with somebody that I can help. We're talking about, let's say, where do we find the for sale by owner today? There's an abundance of them. They're, they're everywhere. Primarily, if you're looking for easy information, they're on Zillow. And if you look hard enough, you can actually find their phone number. And we know that if you were a buyer, you wouldn't easily find their phone number because this is my other conversation with any for sale by owner, and it's an easy conversation, and it's true. So I'll make the phone call, and they'll say, you know, I'll start asking them some questions about the property, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm on Zillow. I'm on Zillow. I'm just go look at the picture. I said, oh, my gosh, you're on Zillow. Okay. So tell me. What's your experience been like on Zillow? How, how is that working? And I do that in a very sincere way. It's not, not sarcastic. And they're like, well, you know, I mean, all I get is these realtor calls. That's typically what I'll hear. And I'll say, you know, it's amazing. You ever ask yourself why you think Zillow would let you put your home on their, on their website for free? Because they're not charging you, are they? Well, no. Okay. Have you seen the way your listing is, your pro and I, this is not, I got to slap my wrist. I can't say the word listing when I'm talking to a for sale by owner because they're not listed and you can't. You can't give reference to that word because they'll say, I'm listed on Zillow, and you have to get rid of that word. And it's always prying on your own. you know. So you're trying to sell, and, and you're, you're on Zillow. So I'm curious, have you actually seen your property on Zillow and what it would look like to a buyer? And some have, some haven't. And some are aware that Zillow is actually selling the ad space of their property to three or four paying agents, which is my conversation with that seller is that you understand that Zillow is essentially using your property to sell ad space to those brokers that are probably getting all your leads, which is why you're only getting realtor calls. So when you actually think about that, I'm kind of the exception when it comes to real estate agents. Most real estate agents won't want to work with you. They'll sort of resist you. So all those agents that are paying to get your buyers, 
they're not going to take them back to your house. They're not going to call you because they don't know who you are. It's going to be hard to work with somebody trying to sell on their own. They're not sure if you're going to pay them a commission. They'd much rather bring their buyers down to my property and know that they're going to work with a professional and get paid, and it's going to be an easier process. So I just want you to understand what Zillow is truly, how it could be working and maybe not working so well for your sale process. And that's essentially what I say because I think Zillow is misleading so many home sellers and they feel like that's the site to be on. And Zillow's done an amazing job creating traffic. That's really what their purpose is. And yet the for sale by owner goes on there with all the right intentions and finds almost no results. And some do have success. However, strategically placed agents on the side minimizes that marketability. So that conversation leads into the whole other because if you're really deep into the for sale by owner world, the other conversation you hear is, oh, I'm going to, or I just paid to get on the MLS. I'm going to pay, you know, down here in Florida. I just listed a property last week in Florida where the guy had just paid $69 to get on the MLS. In Cleveland, it's, at least it's like $399. Down here, it's crazy. So I said, wow, that's amazing. So why would you want to do that? Why would you want to have your property in the MLS? And they say, well, of course, I want, you know, all the brokers with their buyers to see me. I say, that's Makes sense, totally. When you really think about it, that actually could be very counterproductive. And let me explain why. That's all right. You know that I'm the exception when it comes to real estate agents in terms of just me having this conversation with you. Most real estate agents, they don't really want to go out of their way to have to work with someone like yourself. Not that there's anything wrong with you, but this, it's the unknown. So, you know, those agents that have the buyers that are ready, willing, and able, pre-approved, ready to buy today, they're not going out of their way to pick up the phone and dial your phone number to get information about your home so they can show it. There's plenty of other properties that are listed with professional brokers where the system and the process is already done. There's a guaranteed payout for them and a a guaranteed process that they're familiar with. That's where they're taking those buyers. So I understand why you'd want to get in the MLS. I just want you to know what the reality is once you are. You're still someone trying to sell by owner and most agents are going to resist you. And that's just another, you know, these are just compounded their concept. I call them facts, whatever you want to call them. These are realities that someone who you know, is trying to sell their home on their own doesn't really know or, or take into consideration. Now, do they all submit to that? No. Some, some build up an even taller wall and that's okay. I feel very confident though and sincere in my belief of all of those very real possibilities. And ultimately, those are my scripts. And all a script is the belief in a proven experience in something that you're communicating. So script gets such a bad word or not perceived in a favorable way for some of us. And I've learned over the years that this just naturally flows out of me like a script. And it's only simply because I truly believe in it. And that's truly what a script is. So, Yeah, I totally agree with that, Chris. Let me just make a quick observation from the two examples you gave with the Zillow and the MLS listing and the for sale by owner. My observation is that you're creating doubt. You're creating doubt in the seller's mind that they're on the right track. Now, it comes from the fact that you believe they're on the wrong track, but I think that you're creating doubt in their head and they're thinking, geez, maybe that is why I'm not getting any response on Zillow, or maybe that is why nobody's calling me in the MLS, and maybe I am going the wrong direction and I need to get some help. I would label it all as creating doubt. Well, I can... uh... I can agree then, and I wouldn't disagree. I think that we always talk about the the for sale by owner process. Very rarely do you just knock on the door and they say, come on in, let's get this home listed. It is a process, and, you know, 
I think the, the concepts that I just described are just an enhancement of what their reality is, you know, because if we're at three to four to five week timeline now and we don't have any buyers making offers and Chris Higgins just showed up and shared some of that information with me, I think it can expand the level of doubt that they're probably already having. And again, some are super committed and they're going to stick it out for months. We've seen for sale by owners try it for years. Uh, and most though, I think are typically a, I think they're a two to six week timeline and they're ready to get the property sold. That's really a strong observation. You've been doing a lot of for sale by owners and your observation is that two to six weeks, two to six weeks is how long they want to try on their own before they're ready to try something else on average. Yeah. So you have to time block in your business for yourself enough time or have a system that you can not miss the follow-up because we can have some of the best conversations and then if I don't if I don't knock on their door or ring them again in a week or two, someone else just got in front of them and made a stronger physical impression or in that moment it was just time and, and I missed it. So follow-up is a key piece of the process and, and it's just a continuation. So some of the dialogue we just had was the more sort of like compelling conversation. The rest of it is, hey, Mike, it's Chris calling, you know, it's Monday. How was your weekend? I'm just checking to see, is the home still for sale? Okay, great. Are you still at 220000 Okay, gosh. So, Mike, I'm just curious at this point, have you started to think about how long you might try this and maybe what your plan B would be? So, it's a real easy conversation now because I've already started it. I'm just asking, where are we at? Is it still for sale? And, and so on. So that's pretty much the routine. And at the end of the day, with a for sale by owner, there's a reason they're all trying it on their own. And, and it's one of the funniest things to ask them is, you know, Mike, I'm just curious, why are you actually trying to sell this home on your own? And what we hear is, well, you know, I've sold a lot of houses myself and, you know, I've never had a trouble selling a home before. And obviously, and at some point they'll either say it right off the bat or you'll come to realize, oh, it's, oh, you're trying to save the commission. So we easily get into that conversation and let's just agree to it. Let's get it on the table because now we can actually have a conversation about it. So Mike, if I totally get it, if there was actually a way that you could see that you could actually get more in your pocket, would you at least want to talk about that? Could I show you that? I'd be in your neighborhood tomorrow. Can I pop by? And now, now we're just trying to find out if they're open to the, the possibility that, that there's a different way to get more money or, or an equal amount of money in their pocket at the end of the sale, because that's really their, their driver. So you, you have to be ready to have the conversation that, yes, we have some flexible commission options. I'd be crazy if I told you today that I've never adjusted my commission to work with a for sale by owner or get my foot in the door. It's just a reality. It's the nature of the, of the conversation. And am I very profitable because of it? Yes. Am I a discount agent? Not even close. Most of our commissions in Cleveland are at seven or six. We have an alternative option as well. And here in Sarasota, it's a straight six, almost exclusively in the market. Cleveland's a little more dicey in terms of competitiveness, we'll call it, and uh, regarding commission adjustments that the agents are making up there. But uh, the one thing that has helped me get my foot in the door with many for sale by owners is my 4% commission option. And the 4% commission option is really just a strategy to do a direct buyer marketing plan, a direct buyer marketing strategy simultaneously with full marketing in place, which is, of course, full MLS, full broker marketing, and everything else. And all we're talking about 
is the possibility that if I can actually procure a direct buyer based on my target marketing and we can come together and, and negotiate something that's acceptable to you, I can actually save you a couple percentage points and do this for 4%. Now, is that a discount? Conceptually, yes. It's actually an upgrade in terms of my commission because most of our sales are broker to broker. And in those scenarios, we're doing a, a three and a half or a three three. So I'm actually giving myself a raise when I sell my properties at 4% to a direct buyer. It happens 15 to 25% of the time. I love when it happens because I've saved my client money and I've made a little bonus as well. It gives me an edge at the front door. It gives me an edge on my postcard and it makes my phone ring. What I don't do is explain the program unless I'm sitting at their kitchen table or their dining room table. So they want to know about this option and that's what it's called. It's an option. It's not, it's not the commission. It's a possibility. If we're broker to broker, we're going to be a seven or a six, whatever the norm is. So yeah. And you know what? Anybody can offer you a discounted commission. The difference is, do they actually have a plan to actually make it work? Let me tell you what I do to make this happen, or at least put us in the best position possible. And that's where I go into my seller presentation, where I have four or five specific strategic things that really are doable by anybody, but I make a big deal out of them, and they truly are designed to attract a direct buyer. And when it works, we win. So because a lot of other, not a lot, there's been a few of my competitors have picked up on my my 4% option and, and they're using it. So I had to make sure I'm clarifying with a prospect that, yeah, anybody can offer you four or three or two. Let me show you what I'm actually doing though to actually get this home sold because that's what's going to make the difference. So that's my biggest marketing strategy to initiate a conversation just short of picking up the phone and asking them how much how much time they're going to take before they consider talking with an agent. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You mentioned you have a the 4% option postcard that you're sending out. What's on that postcard? You said you don't want to tell them too much, but you want to get them interested. What does it say? Well, uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't have one in front of me. I have about four or five, maybe six different cards over the years, and it depends. Currently, I'm not doing any direct mailing in the moment, but I'll get into cycles where next month I'll say, okay, I'm going to start my, my direct mail again. But the design was that there was one card a week. So it was a consistent card showing up with a very strong message. One of them might say Zillow is using you. I hope that's not too brutal. But it would say Zillow is using you and it would say, call me to find out the truth about Zillow. <laughs> you know, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but uh, that's a little uh, <laughs> that's not edgy. a problem. Keep going. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, there's another one that says, you know, call me about my 4% commission option or my for sale by owner commission option. And it's just that simple. And, you know, they're curious. And that's what the design of the card is. Again, there's a lot of competition in our market. If you're not doing something different or compelling, well, then why are they going to even consider me? So you got to be a little uh, edgy on the cards. But that's essentially what it is. And they'd say, you know, hey, I got this postcard. So 
what's this 4% commission or, or what's your commission? It says, you know, you have flexible options. And I say, you know what, absolutely. Uh, well, let me ask you, what, what's the price of your home? Okay, so obviously if we're dealing with a higher price property, then we've got maybe some room there. If we're talking about something at 85000 well, it's going to be tough. So, But it's a conversation piece. I say, you know what, it's one of the first things we're going to address. What I really like to do is come out and see the property. I'd like to see what kind of a marketing plan I can put on this to see if that's even a possibility, because it's true. When I go through a walkthrough on my listing presentation, I do it the same every single time. It's one, two, three, one as I walk through the property and I walk through with the seller. There's a whole lot of conversation out there today about I've heard people not even going to the house to list homes, which I think is great, but I get a lot out of my walkthrough. I'm really assessing the property to see what buyer am I targeting here because I truly want to design a marketing plan to attract a buyer for this property, but I'm also building rapport finding out what the hot buttons are and learning a lot about the seller so that when we do sit down, I've got the information I need to, to have a, an effective conversation. But that's essentially what it is. And then, and then we talk about commission. But at that point, back to my original theory is that, you know, if you can just get face-to-face with somebody, the odds of you getting their business go up exponentially. So the whole goal is to get into the house and, and make a connection with that seller. Sometimes everything in your listing presentation is not even necessary because they just feel a connection with you. They believe in you or whatever. And, and then sometimes they don't. You could lose them at the front door. It doesn't matter how great your marketing plan is. They just don't have a connection with you. So a lot of it just comes down to that. Chris, I understand with your for sale by owners that at this point, you know, at early days you would go and knock on the door. But today, it sounds like you're doing a lot more work on the phone. And I think you also have hired someone to make a lot of those phone calls, uh, an inside sales agent or associate. Could you tell us a little bit about that, how it's working, and and then get into the scripts that they're using? Yeah, definitely. I hired my first ISA, call them ISA, OSA, there's all these terms. Essentially, what what these guys are, or girls, they are here in the office, and I pay them a salary to make phone calls for me. And basically it's leverage. And Gary Keller talks about the three L's, leads, listings, and leverage. It's the third L. And I think it's it's just um, basically it's defined leverage as having the opportunity to have somebody do something for you that you no longer want to do or can't. And that's really what my callers do for me. I've had callers now for, I think I hired my first one. I remember I went to Mega Camp Keller Williams in August of 2014, and I watched a couple of people up on the panel talk about their ISA departments, and I was blown away. I thought, oh my gosh, this is the, I've never, couldn't even conceive of it. I came back, and that was September. I think I hired uh, my first caller in November, and first day on the job, she had no experience, literally, calling, and uh, I gave her a script binder that I created with everything I could brainstorm and other things that I have obtained over the years. And I just put little dividers in the thing. And one was for expired section. One was a for sale by owner section. And then as the years have grown, we've added calling sphere of influence, calling circle prospecting, just listed, just sold, calling for open houses. It's just grown. My binder is now about two and a half, three inches thick. And I currently have one caller, but I've had as many as two with a third sort of in process of being hired. So it's a whole different animal, managing people and callers and that 
function. I mean, having somebody come in for eight hours a day and blast out four to 600 phone calls, it's a brutal, brutal position. And I, I give a tremendous amount of respect for everybody that I've, I've had on my team doing that. And, then, and you know, I, I've got so much room to grow and improve in that area. And yet there are teams across the country that I model after that are just doing it at such a high level. So it was a game changer. When I first hired my first one in, in November of 15 uh, or 2014, I remember literally I just told her, I said, you just start calling these people and just tell them I'm right down the street and call me and tell me where the address was. Sure enough, it was like I think I hired on a Wednesday and by Friday morning, I was literally driving down the street and she said, I, I got you an appointment in the city, Bay Village. And I said, oh, wow, what, what time? She's like, they just said, come over. I said, okay, I'm going to go over. So sure enough, I did and walked into their living room and they loved this woman who I had on the phone. They just fell in love with her on the phone. And they're like, oh my gosh, anybody who does this is the kind of business we want to be a part of and work with. And I said, geez, that's great. And they literally signed in the spot. So I've never gone back. It's something that it enables you to be super competitive because I can outcall somebody who doesn't have leverage in terms of callers. I invest a tremendous amount of money into it because, you know, it is our one thing. I mean, seller listing appointments are the only thing that matter. That's how I measure our business. I don't really look at deals written, gross commission income. I just look at sellers. And that's back to our original conversation when I jumped out of management into, into sales. I, I knew there's one thing that I could measure my success by is just list as many as I possibly could. Um, so that's what we do. And yet, as I said, I'm, I'm here in Sarasota today. I've got my license active here for about a month, and I decided myself to take this on for my own calling down here and my own prospecting because I need to become very familiar and acquainted with this market. There's some real differences between Sarasota and Cleveland in terms of the demographic. The, many of these people are second and third homeowners as far as they, they live out of state, and a lot of these homes are just sitting here as vacation rental stuff. So a lot different motivation down here. So I'm trying to learn it myself, and I'm doing all my own calling right now down here, which has been really good. It's been a good experience having stepped out of it ultimately for a couple of years. I never stopped calling. I just I wasn't calling exclusively. So that's how we do it. I pay them a guarantee every month, and they get a bonus on DCI. So that keeps them in the game. It keeps them, you know, we're a sales organization. So as much as we'd love to just have everybody on salary, if we don't sell houses, then you know, we got to all be in on that. So what I do is I actually have someone now that is running our leads, call her the lead conversion manager. She handles managing our callers, and she also handles managing our CRM and our uh, front website, the incoming sign calls, incoming inbound Zillow, Realtor.com, and Google leads. And then she assigns those to different team members and holds them accountable to the conversion standards that we have. So in doing that, she's also managing my callers day to day or my caller currently, you know, just getting, make sure that their tech is up and running, that going through their scripts, keeping them focused, making sure their calls are getting done and all that kind of stuff. Cause I'm physically not always there. And when I first hired my first one, I just sat right in the office with her a lot of the time. And that was, you know, it's just a little different today than what it is. So I give her 5% on seller listings that close and I give the ISA 5% and that's on GCI, and then they both have a salary, and then she gets 10% on any in, those are on the outbounds, she gets 10% on any of the inbound leads that we pass on to a team member, so she's got, because she's totally hands-on on the inbound, but she's only managing the caller on the outbound. 
the ISA, you said they get a, a base. How much is that? It's 2000 a month and 5% on GCI for seller outbound, 10% on GCI for ultimately buyer inbound. And in a, a year, how much does a typical ISA make? Well, I'd like to see them making six figures because then we'd have a lot of a lot of business. Uh, I'm seeing somewhere between like 45 and maybe 80. That's that's what I'm seeing. There's some exceptions, and when you have somebody getting into that higher level at five percent or 10 percent GCI, that's when they start. And and I start saying, you know, they they probably should be out in the field with you know face to face. So I think that's a natural transition as well. And a lot of the people I'm modeling after use that position or those positions as an entry into into their team or into the business. You know, it's a unique opportunity in terms of real estate to be able to offer somebody, number one, some guarantee, and number two, great training for those. I mean, if you can, if you get into the business learning how to do that, you know, you'll be a rock star in a couple of years because that's all you got to do is get on the phone and set appointments. You're going to be successful. Are your ISAs licensed or unlicensed, and where are you finding them? Yeah, I've gotten them licensed. At first, I wasn't, and I had a couple of close calls, just concerns with some potential licensing issues, and I didn't want to I didn't want to wonder and worry. My broker gave me very specific guidelines that we needed to follow, and of course we do, and every, every call is, is recorded, so we don't ever have to question if there was an issue, but we've now got everybody licensed. It's just safer that way, yes. And I get them uh, from anywhere. You know, it's it's a tough position to fill. And one gentleman has had experience, not not in real estate, but he had a lot of calling experience just in different fields. So he was a natural and he's got a great voice and a great connection with, with people. You know, my first one, I think she was working at an auto parts store or something when I found her. And she just, she she was with me for a year and a half and she ended up, you know, having a baby and we're no longer working together. But it's a tough position. It's something that as you could imagine, there's hopefully they don't burn out, but I think there's a certain shelf life for anybody that's going to get into that grind for that length of time. Could you tell us a little more about for sell by owners? And what I'm wondering about is the initial conversation, the initial contact, the script that you're using for your ISA or for yourself. Could you tell us about that? very first sentence or two that you use, how do you get that conversation flowing with the for sale by owner? Well, you get it flowing like you do every other conversation. You start with a question and then you don't say anything else. <laughs> I do the same thing with fires. And, and it's funny because I'll even listen to my recordings of myself. And I learned this when I would present offers, the same way I present an offer to a seller. So when I do that and just, just in reference, I lead up to I go through all these terms, and then I, what I don't say is the price. And finally, I say, and Mike, they've offered three hundred thousand, and there's silence. And I don't say another word until they respond, either gasping or oh, or excited or oh my gosh, whatever it is. Now I have a gauge as to where what direction we're going to move in. So same thing with the for sale by owner expired. Mike, my name is Chris. I'm calling about the home uh, for sale at 123 Main Street, and. I just stop because depending on how they respond is going to tell me what kind of a person I'm dealing with. Not many of them, but some of them are, are right off the bat. Well, you know, they can tell you're an agent. Well, who are you? Why are you like, what do you want to know? 
they kind of have that edge to them. Others are, you know, others, they go into a 10-minute conversation about their home, and you didn't even say another word. Say, well, and because I don't introduce myself until I get that next response. Okay, well, my name is Chris. I'm a real estate agent here in the neighborhood, and I'm just curious. I see it's for sale. How much are you asking? All I'm doing is asking questions about the home, and that's where a lot of the times I'll get, well, it's on Zillow. You can just go look at Zillow, so that's why that, that comes up quite a bit. But ultimately, most people are going to tell you quite a bit and probably more than you really want or need to know about the home, but you get them talking, you get the conversation moving that way. And you simply get to a point where in that first call you say, you know, I, I think that's great. You know, they all want to know if you have buyers and say, yeah, we do. We've got a lot of buyers. I'm not sure if any of them would be a fit for your home, which is why I'm calling. So we could do one of two things. I could actually stop by and come and see it. And while I'm there, Mike, I could actually show you some of the things that we're doing to get so many homes sold, if that's okay. Because I don't want to, I never bait and switch. I never say, oh, yeah, you know, let me see if it could work for my buyers. And then I show up with a listing presentation in my hand. That's, you just burn a bridge. So you have to get permission if you're going to go there. And I wouldn't go there, by the way, unless I had permission to be able to share a few things that we're doing to get so many homes sold. Because I want to make sure that if I'm going to go to their house, I'm going to have that conversation. Because otherwise, I don't need to go to their house. I can have that conversation over the phone. So if they say, you know, no, that's fine, I'm good. If you have a buyer, you're paying 3%. Okay, great. Let me ask you, Mike, have you thought about maybe a timeline at this point about how long you might continue to try and sell this home on your own? And, and I stop and or I might say something, you know, Mike, many sellers at some point after so long of trying will start to look at their options. Have you thought about how long you might try this on your own and consider a plan B? Just different things like that. Really what I'm looking for is the level of commitment that they have, and you can hear the honesty. Some of them are going to lie to you and say, oh, I'm, I'm not listing no matter what. Others are pretty honest, and they're going to say, hey, I'm probably going, to, probably going to give it a couple more weeks, whatever. And now I've got, now I've got a plan. Now I can, I've got my database over my CRM open. I'm taking notes, setting up my next follow-up call. Maybe there was something that was said that I could circle back to when I speak to them next. But ultimately... You're asking a couple questions about the house, number one, and number two, how long they're going to try and sell this on their own and if they thought about a plan B. And that's pretty much it. Can't get a whole lot more done on that initial call, but at least, you know, and then you've got to, if you can actually get your foot in the door and say, well, you know, we do, we are working with a ton of buyers right now and could be a fit and maybe I could come over and take a look at the home. And while I'm there, by the way, because if you do get to that point where you start to look at your options, I can show you some of the things that we're doing. So at least when you get to that point, you at least know what we're doing. Because again, I want that permission because it's really important for the conversation we're going to have and the expectation going forward. Chris, with for sale by owners, what's your conversion ratio? What I mean by that is, let's say 100 for sale by owners come into your pipeline over the course of a year. You find 100 of them and put them into your system. How many of those will turn into listings? Well. I probably should know that because I could go into my system right now and tell you how many are in there and how many have been in there over the course of a year and tell you how many I listed. I don't know. To be honest with you, I should know. But if I had to guess, Mike, I'd say, in all honesty, 25 to 35% when I think about it that way. That's just the reality of it. There's a ton of them out there, and there's a lot of competition for them, and not all of them are going to list. So I'd say about 25 to 35% maybe. <laughs> Well, well, Chris, I, I find that a little humorous, and here's why. 
you just told me that your conversion ratio is one in three, one in four, which to me sounds really awesome. And to you, it sounded really bad. So <laughs> that's why I found humor there. I think you're doing a fantastic job. That's incredible that you're converting one in three, one in four of the people that come into your system in the listings. That's awesome. Another question would be a time frame. You said it takes some follow-up. You mentioned uh, before it take two to six weeks before someone decides to do something. During that time, how many contacts are you typically making before someone decides to bring you over for an appointment? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say on average about two to three is all. I'm seeing people, people that end up listing are listing sooner in that two to six week period than the, the majority are happening in the first three weeks. It's the exception, the ones that are holding out five, six weeks. Those are the ones that are more or less, those are probably the three, the two or three that we're not getting on average because they're really committed or maybe our follow-up slipped up and we missed a call or whatever the case is. But generally, if you can get one or two calls on them and you can actually get your foot in the door, oftentimes after that first or second call and you physically show up, they're either moving forward on the spot or they're calling you back or you're calling them back one more time and they said, yeah, it's time, we're going to do this now. Because it's just a process of them opening up to the possibility that maybe this isn't going to work. And that's really where it's at. So designing your day and your schedule around that is probably the most critical component of your success. Anybody can have a great sales call or a great presentation. And if you're not geared for the follow-up, you're just going to miss so many of those future opportunities. This has been an excellent investigation of how to make for sale by owners work. Just a curiosity, how many for sale by owners do you think you've listed over the years? Oh, it would have to be hundreds. I don't know. I should, you know, I, I, I don't know much about my numbers, unfortunately, but there's been many, 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 many. And there's been some great stories. I had one just actually call me the other day who I went, and this was back to the, so the first caller I hired, she had got me this appointment, and I went over on a, a 6.30 in the evening, and the wife was there, and the husband was running late, so I did the walkthrough with the wife and thought that went really well, and we had a great connection going, and, and the husband came home, and he was kind of already like, why are we doing this type of a thing? And before you knew it, we all were clicking, and it was actually quite funny. The door got knocked on when we were literally in the process of signing, and it was a group of agents from another office who were out canvassing for sale by owners that night. And they, they said, no, no, we're just listing right now. They're like, oh, shoot. I got them listed, and they actually <laughs> sold in a day. And they just called me like a month ago and said, hey, my mother passed away last year. We're going to sell her home now, and we wouldn't work with anybody but you because you sold our house in a day. Those are the things that when you do this and you see your system and your service work for someone that was really – geared to try it on their own and everything else, and then see them actually call you back and, and that the, you were successful in selling their home, that's a really great feeling. That is awesome. I, I heard years ago that a lot of for sale by owners put that sign in the yard simply because they're looking for an agent. They don't know who <laughs> to call, and they're just going to try this while they find one. That's that's a great story. I could talk stories all day. I remember one, I was coming home from the office one day around 530, and I, it was a hot July day. And I saw this husband and wife, and he actually had a shovel in his hand, and they were installing a post sign of their own. And I, I'm like a, like a knee-jerk reflex. I see this, and I immediately did a U-turn, drove into their driveway, jumped out with my car, and I said, you guys are working way too hard already. I mean, we haven't even got the sign in the ground. You're breaking a sweat. 
I need to come over here and show you guys how I can help you. I had an appointment the next morning. I listed them that morning, and, and we had, that was another great sale. But, you know, you just have to be you have to be really geared for it and see it as the fastest source of business opportunity. That's what FISBO stands for. It's just opportunities all around you. <laughs> That's awesome. Fastest source of business opportunity. Love it. Yeah. Let's do this. I know that you're also uh, listing a lot of expired listings. I think that's about 25% of your business. Could you just give us a quick overview of what you're doing right now with expired listings to, to get them to hire you? Yeah, well, it's it's about getting there first uh, in most cases. If you're the first agent in, your odds are dramatically greater than if you're the fifth agent that's calling at 9.30 in the morning and or, or whatever because they know. But it is interesting, like I've been I've been calling myself here this week and the last few weeks, and it's always surprising to me to hear a seller say, geez, you're the fifth call, or wow, my home's off the market, and I think to myself, I'm the first caller. I love that. Uh, that's my number one goal is to be there first. So I'm on the phone at 8, like 7.59, my dollar's ready. I push the button at 8 o'clock. I got yelled at this morning. Some woman was very upset that I called at like 8.15 and told me to go back to bed. <laughs> she said, how dare you call before 8.30? And, you know, I follow the Do Not Call registry at uh, 8 to 9 here and, uh, and and certainly in Florida for those calls I'm making. But it's all about getting there first, and, and it's just a real simple. Those are so much easier than for sale by owners as far as the conversation goes. It's very simple. It's, yeah, hi, I'm, same, same thing with your question. It's your opening question that, that will garner where this is going to go. But it's, hi, I'm calling about the home on 123 Main Street, and that's it. You just stop. And they'll say, well, yeah, what, what do you want to know? I said, well, I'm a real estate agent in the neighborhood, and I'm just curious. I see the home came off the market last night, and I'm wondering what the status is. And they'll say whatever they say. And, and I, I'm finding that in this market, it's it's been, if the home, many of the calls that I make, the home is either sold and it's still under contract, and the agent let it slip out of pending into expired, or there's a conditional withdrawn because some circumstance the market we've had now for about the last 12 to 18 months, the expired opportunity isn't what it was some years ago. There's there's very few that, that turn out to be, well, geez, yeah, you know, I just didn't get any offers and they're out there, but it's not the common. That's the exception. So, but occasionally, that's a conversation like that last week. I'd say, what's the status? They'd say, well, you know, we're going to take it off for a while. Oh, okay. So you're still looking to get the home sold. Usually it's, well, yeah, I mean, but we're going to do this or that. So you just have to keep, you got to be very specific in your question, very responsive in your questions. And ultimately the words you're using have to be deliberate in terms of, so are you still looking for offers on the home? Would you still want to sell and things like that? And if the answer is yes, yes, yes. Question now is, are we going to move forward right now? Or does something have to happen first? And now we start peeling back. So the quality of those phone calls, the longer you can keep that conversation going, I've found will lead to a better outcome. The quick, you know, no, we're not going to sell. Oh, okay, so what changed? I'm just curious. Are you thinking about putting it on at some point in the future? Things like that. So you got to be able to interject before they go to hang up because that's what they're trying to do quickly. And again, if you're the third or fourth caller, they're not even picking up in the first place. So I think timing is key. And that's the other advantage of having callers. For example, I have one caller now. Well, that caller can't work 14, 12 hours a day. So if I've got that shifted from 11 to 8 p.m., 
or if I've got an 8 to 4, then I'm missing that a.m. or p.m. call. So what I do is I, I make that first inbound call in the morning, no matter what, because I know I can get done. And then inevitably, we'll start from my caller, calling all that list of anybody that we didn't reach during the day to see if we can get them in the evening. And then we just recycle that all week long, Saturdays, Sundays. We call seven days a week. And on Sundays, I don't start till 1030. Saturdays, it's nine. But you know, you'll find that a lot, we've had a lot of great conversion on Saturdays. Because a lot of people are working, as we know, during the week. And so if I have a caller in on a Saturday, they'll actually make more contacts on a per day than almost any other day. So it's, it's interesting when you start looking at these things over the course of time, what your best days are, what your best times are, and things like that. Now, on the expired, do you have an estimate of what your conversion is? If Again, say 100 expireds came into your system this year. How many of those would end up listing? Well, that's a great question, and I'd have to say maybe 5 or 10%. 5 or 10 out of every 100, and it's simply a, a market condition right now. Many of the things that are coming off are, are actually withdrawn or canceled, and a lot of those are people with circumstances that have changed. You know, I spoke to somebody today, and he said something about something happened between him and his wife, and his attorney told him to take the home on the market. So that's kind of like, okay, well, I don't think I'll probe too deeply on that one. But there's, you know, those are just the things. A lot of the homes that if they're sellable in this market, they're selling. So that's why the for sale by owners have, have really picked up, I think, in, in terms of our business. But if I had I would do expireds. And why is that? Well, because the, the initial conversation is so much easier. They've already agreed to pay a commission. They just weren't successful. They're usually frustrated and open to an alternative. And there's just less resistance overall. The challenge that comes along with that is sometimes our data isn't as good as it is for a for sale by owner because the for sale by owner is posting their phone number and or their email address. So your contact rate is much higher on a for sale by owner than expired. Yet, I think when you deal with a true expired versus a true for sale by owner, your odds of conversion are greater on an expired. That's just my theory. I think over time, it's just a condition that we're experiencing right now. And you mentioned that for sell by owners, if they're going to list, it usually happens within the first two to six weeks. How about an expired? Are they happening in that same time frame? Are they faster? Are they slower? Yeah, it's a mix. It's a great question that I, I wish I had more, better pulse on it. I think it's just that it's all over the board. There's a fair amount of expireds that, that have come off and, and never relisted yet over the last, let's say, 12 months. So those are a great target right now. Hey, it's, you know, spring market's coming. What are your plans for 2018? I see you were trying to sell last year. It's an easy conversation. Uh, but many of them come on very quickly. They need a couple-day cooling off or whatever the case is, but they intend to get the home sold. And, you know, the, the one thing I always have a conversation about is I have one guarantee for you. If you keep your home off the market, it's definitely not going to get offers because then it, you hear all these, I don't know, I, I'm not a believer in this 45-day thing, which is maybe just common to my market or I think every MLS has a, a time period in which if you take your home off the market, it'll reset and you won't have that cumulative days on market, which I just think the market has a short-term memory, and I don't think that's why your home isn't selling. So I have to have that conversation quite a bit. And it's even some of it, it's a little frustrating to me because I don't believe in the concept. Some of their agents are actually coaching them to do this. Hey, take it off for 50 days. It'll reset, and we'll put it out in brand new. 
Well, that's great, but in that next 50 days, probably some homes are going to sell in your price range in your neighborhood. The buyers will be making offers. You're just not going to be a part of that conversation. So that worth waiting for, and does the market that concerned with your days on market? I just don't think so. I could be wrong. I just don't think it's a factor in terms of the overall getting the home sold or not. Well, Chris, uh, listening to you, you keep using the same word over and over again, and that is conversations. You're having conversations with a lot of people, and that's what's resulting in the business. And that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? I think you mentioned earlier with connections and relationships, and it all happens with these conversations. Well, that's great you pointed that out to me. It's funny because that word has grown on me dramatically over the last seemingly four or five months. And I think it's a word we're going to hear about a lot. I've been hearing about it, and and maybe it's just a part of the company I'm with, because that that word is used constantly. It's a part of their their models, systems, all this stuff. It's it's all about the conversations. So, uh, but it is. It's it's today. I think it's so undervalued and and overlooked. Technology has replaced a lot of conversations, and you know, just like I said, if you can get face to face with somebody or next best conversation to conversation, your ability to connect and impact is just so much greater. This whole online thing, which I love it, yet we can't let it replace us as real estate agents and and buyers and sellers. Well, Chris, I'm going to change gears here. I want to talk about your team, and I'd like you to outline for us the structure of the team, kind of a big picture view. What we're looking for is the positions or the titles on the team and what they're responsible for so somebody could see the team in their mind's eye. Okay. Yeah, it, and it, it's one of these things where, admittedly, I've got so much room for improvement and progress. Currently, we have allowed our team structure to change a bit from what we had always done. What we'd always done and what we built our team on was a concept of specialization. And it's why we call ourselves the dream team is because we believe that because we're at expert level working with a seller or expert level working with a buyer, that we are like that dream team agent that you would always want. So that's kind of our where we lead from. And with that was that we had a seller focus and a buyer focus. They were very different. And I had for years the seller, the exclusive seller agent on the team. So the only person that carried listings or went on presentations was me. Now, if a buyer agent had a buyer that wanted to sell, they could come on the appointment, but I was going to lead the presentation and ultimately service them as a seller. Our buyer agent would ultimately service them exclusively as a buyer, and the experience for that client was that much greater for them, and the outcome was that much better. So it was a win-win, and it allowed us to really hone in on our skills so that I wasn't trying to do both. Or It also meant that I wasn't going to be putting signs in the ground. I wasn't going to be going and taking my own pictures. I was going to have somebody do that because that's, you know, this whole concept of your 80% and your 20%. My 20% that achieves 80% of my results is getting face-to-face with a seller, getting a seller appointment. Everything else is sort of a distraction of that. So in terms of specialization, that's how we built. We had buyer agents because we had a lot of listings that when a buyer lead would come in, they would have exclusivity to all of our buyer leads. And we started getting to the point where we were building it out as a, I was the lead seller agent and I started hiring, I started bringing on, I had three guys that I had identified as potential 
future seller agents that I was going to coach and mentor and, and let them be exclusive seller agents. And meanwhile, we had the same concept with buyers and we were, we would have a, a lead buyer agent with, you know, once he or she was so busy, then they would have a showing assistant and their job was to have a buyer consultation, get a commitment, which is ultimately a buyer listing. And then we would get them set up with our showing agent who would deliver exclusive showing service to them. And when they're ready to write an offer, our lead agent would step in and they would negotiate that. So that was our team up until about a year ago, which served us very well. Uh, and it's, in fact, the way I enjoy it and prefer it and the way we're, we're moving back to that. In terms of um, attracting and recruiting and retaining people, some agents don't understand or believe in, in the specialization. And we found that it was, in some cases, difficult to retain people when saying, you can only work with buyers or you can only work with sellers. So we modified our standards, said, okay, everybody can kind of just do anything. And, and we, we did that. And I have found that it's, it's not served us and the client, I think, at the level that, that we once did. So we are moving back to that. So when you ask about the team structure, that is essentially the structure of our team. Now, I do have two other agents that are exclusive seller agents at this point. So beyond me, so that I don't have to go and take every single listing that we ever get. And I enjoy that. I, I think it's one of the things that's been great in that experience is training and having people shadow you as a seller agent or if you're a buyer agent or anything, is that it, it really forces you to, to raise your game up. You think you're doing everything right. And then when, you, when someone says, hey, I want to go on that appointment and watch how you do it, all of a sudden, your awareness just, just went up quite a bit. So it's made me a better agent having that mix on our team. So that's essentially how we do it. I have, uh, I have that. We've got our callers. We've got my lead conversion manager who's managing all of those leads and conversion. And then I've got an in-house photographer, sign runner. So that's all he does. And he does some marketing and, and media for us along with our, all of our photography, creates a lot of our marketing pieces. We've got a contract to close uh, administrator. She does all of our listing entry, all of our transactional, you know, contract to close processing. And that's essentially it. Are you still in the role of the lead seller agent? I am, yeah, and yet I'm being bouncing back and forth here these last couple of months in from Cleveland to Sarasota. I have found myself doing a little less of that, and yet it is something that I, it's my true passion. I truly enjoy that and like that the most. So I intend to remain that. It's like I don't look at this as work. It's something I truly love to do, and, and it's just when you love what you do, it's never work. So that's kind of where I want to be. Now, you've mentioned it a couple times, uh, Sarasota, so just to clarify, your core business is in Cleveland, Ohio, and then you started an expansion team or, or a part of the business in Sarasota over the last year, and you've been playing with that, and without going into those details, that's why you keep referring back to Sarasota. But now, staying on the team, I think you mentioned earlier that you and your wife work together do you still work with your wife? And if so, what position does she have? Yeah, I do. She's running uh, more or less operations. We used to go on every seller appointment together, and we were pretty darn good at it. Yet, you know, it, it became taxing on, on our schedules and so on. So we had a coach a few years ago, and, and the coach said, you know, that's, that's crazy. You guys got to stop doing that. So we did. And it's worked well because she's very different than I am. She likes to say that she's black and white and cut and dry, and she is like, 
She knows our systems and our policies like way better than I do. And she calls me the rainbow because I'm just, I'm just like, whatever's going to get it done, let's just do it. Being <laughs> able to separate a little bit has been, I think, good for our relationship and our business relationship. She does what she does very well and I do what I do very well, but she's in the, she, she does still do some, uh, some listing and selling, not a whole lot, but she's primarily in the office probably eight to 10 hours a day. She really loves what she does. She's engaging with a lot of the agents. She's overseeing the operation, uh, operational type stuff like that. And there's always, it's funny in real estate, the, the idea that you're going to build this team or this business and step out of it. I, I don't know that that's a reality. There's always work to be done. And it's, uh, and again, when you like what you do, when you love what you do, it's not really work. So she puts a lot of hours in and, and she, she enjoys that. Chris, you mentioned you have buyer agents and you have the seller agents. What kind of compensation have you set up for those folks? Yeah. Well, because of the company we're with, we have the opportunity to build out ourselves as a, as more of a business. And that was the primary reason we went to where we're at, is we needed to have the opportunity to manage our revenues uh, more effectively, which is why you can see some of our team structure. I couldn't have pulled that off in my prior environment or my prior arrangement, financial. So how I work with our team is that we do a lot of lead gen, as you can see. So I have a different compensation when it's a team-generated lead, and there's actually two different types of team leads. One is an appointment set. So when my callers are calling, they've got my seller agent's calendars right on their screen, and they know if there's a window tomorrow at 3 o'clock, I can send John over to Main Street, and he's going to go have a seller appointment. So that type of a lead comes with a referral fee back to the team. That's how I compensate my callers and, and all that kind of stuff. So what I do with that is I actually charge a 35% referral fee for a team appointment set lead. You have to understand, you know, I grew up in real estate as a, you know, working for the broker, seeing the old days, it was relocation lead would come in, it would be 25%. Then then all of a sudden 30 became norm, then it was 35 and I think when I left my traditional broker, 42% was the going relo or at least one of the network's relocation referral fee. 42%. And that was, that was not for, hey, go over and there's an appointment for you tomorrow at noon. Go sit in their kitchen table and tell them that you can go list their house. That was, here's a name and address. They're going to be moving or buying or selling in the area. Good luck. And if you get it, it's 42% off the top. So 35% for a preset screened, converted appointment, I believe is a fair give and take. So is it always received well by the agents who've been on my team? No. Sometimes they look at it and say, geez, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of money. And yet it's all about how you frame it. So if I were to provide that lead to an agent and they went and converted that into a, into a listing and then it's sold, that's their client for life. And when I share with them the concept that this is not a referral fee, actually, it's an investment into your future. Because my top seller agent in his first year, he did, he actually was licensed April 1st. From April 1st through December 31st, he had 45 closed sellers with my lead system. Those were leads that we converted and set for him in about a seven-month period. He went and actually closed 45 sellers, brand new agent. And that was just his closings. I think he had, I think he listed 50 or some homes that year in his first year. And now for the rest of his business career, 
Those aren't my leads in the future. They don't even know my name because they, all they know is the dream team. But what they do know is they know his name. And if he does the right thing with that investment and he nurtures that over time, that could be worth millions of GCI and referrals and repeat business over the future. So that's typically how those work. If we get an inbound lead, it's a 25%. Hey, somebody called on our sign on Main Street. Here's the phone number. That's just a 25%. And then we do our uh, starting day one commissions with our agents at 65. So they're, they're out of the gate at 65%. We're training them. We're providing the environment, the coaching, the leads, access to me and whatever else they're going to need in terms of resource going forward. They get their website. They get I use, you know, there's databases that they can use to get phone numbers so that they can call them. We're encouraging lead generation of their own because, of course, they're going to get a better split and a better payout on their lead versus mine. So I'm trying to coach them and help them become self-generating, and my leads are just an enhancement to their income. You know, I mean, I, but sometimes they do become somewhat dependent on on our leads and see some of only of our value in that. And really what we're trying to always communicate is that the value of being on this team isn't just the leads. It's actually the leverage you get. It's being able to just turn that paperwork in and not look back. You know, you don't have to track that deal. Go get that listing and your signs are put up, your pictures are taken, your MLS is entered, everything's done. Your flyers are installed, your lockbox is put on. They don't have to think about a thing. All they have to do is focus on their 20%, which is going to create 80% of their results, which is what go get an appointment with another buyer or seller. That's all it is. So, Chris, if I understand correctly, let's talk about when your ISA sets up an appointment for your buyer agent. They've got it all ready to roll. They just go over to the uh, meet the buyer and sign them up. There's a 35% referral fee that comes directly off the top, and that's going to go help to compensate for your callers, uh, your ISAs. And that leaves 65%. And then that 65%, is that what's going to be then split between you Correct. and the, you know, the team and the buyer agent at 65% to the, to the buyer agent and 35% to the office or to the team? Yep. Be no different than any other brokerage model where the, the national referral network took their piece off the top and then the remaining dollar is split, you know, company dollar and agent. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I just did the math for anybody who's curious. That's about 42%, 42.5, 42.25, 42 to the buyer agent. And that's that's not far off. I tell you, I see other models. I used to pay 40%. So I think it's right in line with other things I've seen. It makes a lot of sense to me. Now, the listing agent on their side, uh, are they following the same commission structure or is it different? Well, what you just described, Mike, is actually the seller listing agent. So the seller listing agent is a 35% because oh, wow. that, that appointment's set. So they're, they're at a 42. The buyer agent's getting a little better opportunity because we're not actually setting the buyer appointment. We tried that, and we had too much no-show. Like, we'd set a buyer up off of Zillow to come into the office, and my agent's sitting there at 5 o'clock at night, and we have a no-show. So what we decided to do was instead of do a 35% for an appointment-setting incoming buyer lead, we changed it to a 25% to here's the lead, you go nurture it and convert it. And so we're giving a 10% bump increase because they're actually nurturing and converting the appointment itself. So in that scenario, it would be just like you said, you know, $10,000 comes in, $2,500 off the top for the lead fee. The remaining $7,500 is split 65-35. Got it. So that's a 50-50 split. Sure, that sounds pretty good. And again, in line with what I've heard, 
other than the listing, now I think you might be paying pretty high for that listing agent. Just an observation. I hope you're still able to cover all your costs uh, paying a listing agent 42%, but that's a conversation for another day, something for people to think about. Chris, thank you so much for walking through and explaining your business model to us. It's a very prospect heavy, although again, you don't use the word prospect, you tend to use conversations and I really like that. Question for you is, are you profitable? Yeah, I strangely just did my P&L. We have submitted all our taxes, of course, it's tax time, but I had to do a P&L for a, a mortgage we're looking to do on a investment property. So I uh, just did it and it turns out we're at, from what I can see, 35% profit. So I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm satisfied with it, and uh, that's where we're at. I think that's great for a, a team and having these people run around. And you've been switching different models. I think that's a pretty nice net, so good job. Uh, what drives you? Well, that's a great question. I think it's just really, really enjoying what you do and, and the, the daily opportunities that we find ourselves in and, and around. That's pretty much it. I'm kind of a competitive person and, and I like the ability to be in control of our own destiny. So I guess that's that's my answer if I can sum it up that way. If you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Well I just had a brand new agent join our team and she's going to be amazing. I really, really and, and that's I guess back to your last question. One of the things that is really fulfilling is working with and I do prefer new agents on the team just because of their level of enthusiasm, their open-mindedness, and their ability to learn. And I think that's a, that's so important for all of us. And the energy they bring is truly contagious. So uh, we just had this, and she came in, and she's one of those agents that you hope for. And it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's like Monday. She's sitting there. It's her first day. And it's like as a team leader, as a, anybody – that just reminds you of your commitment and your obligation to that person's success. If you're going to tell them that this is a place where they should come and, and participate and join you, you got to have a plan. So what I would say to her, and, and as I did or any other brand new agent, there's one thing that you showed up here for today. There's one thing. And every day we have to lead with that one thing. And it's got to be our focus. It's got to be our reminding objective. And that is, and I just, I always am asking this question. What are we trying to do when we make that phone call? What are we looking for? We're looking for that appointment. So if you're a brand new agent today, there's one thing between you and your next deal, your next commission, your next listing, and it's one thing that must happen. It's got to happen. It's appointment. Without that, nothing else is going to happen. So all of our actions have to be designed and supporting and driving us closer to that next appointment. And that's really all that matters. That's what I, I one of my first, years in real estate when I was back in management, I was a really old time guy, old school, and he he had this big sheet of paper and it was called We're Appointment Salespeople. The old school concept, but it was so true. That's really what we're selling every day or, or we're seeking, I should say, is appointments. So that's what you need. I'll say this too. There are no bad appointments. We've had to really learn this on our team because setting appointments for seller agents and when we were doing it for our buyer agents and Maybe we sent them to a for sale by owner and the owner didn't answer or they were mean at the door or they said, well, where's your buyers or whatever it is. We had to constantly remind ourselves that there are no bad appointments. You're either going to get the listing or you're going to get better because until you get on them, 
You can do all the classroom training you want and the book reading you can do. You will never gain the experience of an appointment, whether you get it or not. So there are no bad appointments. Chris, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Well, I think they're valuable for sure. I've been listening to these myself for years, and I've always gained one thing at least. You know, there's you got to be willing to learn from other people. And I would say that from my personal experience today having this conversation with you, it's been valuable for me to kind of review and, and remind myself some of the things that we do and did or, or should be doing. So I think it's extremely valuable. Chris, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, I think I've probably talked way too much. So uh, I thank them for listening. I hope they got something out of it. And I would just say that if you have any opportunities in Cleveland, Ohio, or Gulf Coast of Florida, Sarasota, think of me, Chris Higgins at the Dream Team, and you can find me online. And I'd love to send some referrals back and forth. Well, Chris, your laser focus on seller listings has been a huge success. You target people who you know want to move, expired listings, and for sale by owners. You've mastered your scripts by developing the belief that your approach is the best one for the seller. You create doubt about the seller's current course of action, then offer them a more logical solution. You prospect not to get a certain number of contacts, but a certain number of quality conversations that will lead to a clear understanding of the seller's situation and the seller liking you on a personal level. It's a great model for success. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 387 homes last year by mastering internet leads. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.